From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth for July the 7th. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm here with Crash. Uh, this morning and our guest Randy White um, we trust you will be edified we're so glad you joined us and our desire is that you would be built up in the faith uh, this whole world is passing away but God is on the throne and actively working in the hearts of men and that is our best news on any given day I want to open with Psalm 121 and then we will seek the Lord and ask him to join us in our conversation today Psalm 121 I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Heavenly Father, we are just thrilled and blessed to be able to call you our Father. Lord, we do not deserve it, but through your Son, Jesus, uh, Lord, we have eternal life. We are so eternally grateful. Uh, thank you that you've hemmed us in on every side, um, that the steps of a good man are ordered by you. We pray that our words and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you today. And we just... Uh, honor you, ask that you'd walk among us today, and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, it's Crash here, and we're going to get to our guest now, one of our favorite uh, theologians here on Set Up for the Truth, author and pastor Randy White, the founder of John Nelson Darby Academy and Dispensational Publishing, been a pastor for over 25 years, regularly leads tours uh, of Israel. Andy White Ministries started back in 2011 as an online and radio Bible teaching ministry focused today on producing verse-by-verse Bible teaching resources for individuals. Uh, author Evangelical Garbage, how evangelicalism is confused, manipulative, and downright dangerous. Uh, Mary, you're a fan of that book so oh, yes. far. <laughs> and uh, Pastor White, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Good morning, Crash and Mary. Thank you. Very glad to be with you and your uh, wonderful audience there and around the world. And how is the uh, weather out in New Mexico right The now? weather in New Mexico is always perfect, and uh, today we've got a nice uh, 65 degrees in Taos, New Mexico. We, uh, Mary and I have lots to talk to you about, uh, but it is uh, time to be thinking about school and homeschooling and uh, Stand for the Truth and Lakeshore Communications we are big proponents of uh, homeschooling, and uh, John Nelson Darby Academy. I'll uh, I'll say this: uh, this is not a paid endorsement. But, uh, the Connell family uses that. I think uh, Patrick Ray. I don't know how many years he's been doing it. Uh, I, I know he's been be a, three, yeah. four or five years, but it's uh, we've we've loved having Patrick. Sixth or seventh grade, sixth grade. Uh, now he's going to be a he's, uh, upcoming. He's going to be a, a junior. But uh, so, uh, Mary, uh, why don't you start us off with some some inquiries here? Yeah, um, Randy, it's just great to be with you today. Um, 
What is classical education? And I need to ask you that because, you know, my daughter graduated from high school in 2001, and we did some homeschooling, but in those days there weren't a lot of choices. Now you have some great um, homeschool groups that, that parents can um, join up with in any capacity. Uh, in those days we had a little bit of a Becca and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and um, some computer programs when computers were new. But I don't know what classical education is, so could you, for those in our audience, including myself, who don't know what that is, could you... Give us a definition of that. I I sure can. And John Nelson Darby Academy is really shifting more into the classical education format. Although there's, uh, it it really is a, it's a philosophy more than it is uh, an actual practice when it comes down to particular math or science or Bible uh, or whatever the subject matter may be. But it's a philosophy of developing the whole person rather than developing the particular skill. We want to put students who are prepared for life. And behind it or underneath it all, the, the, the bricks and sticks that to build it is to help a child come to, first of all, a firm grasp of facts, just a lot of facts about life and about the world, about history, about science, about the, the, the creation that God has given to us. And then later to be able to take those facts and put them together in a logical manner. And then finally, we believe that a good, well-equipped citizen and and, uh, church member and uh, husband or wife or family man out in the future, uh, worker, employee, business owner, we believe that one of the things they're going to be able, need to do is be able to express themselves. And so the, the, the tip of the iceberg, if you will, for, uh, say, uh, typical K-12 education is to get a student who's got a, a, a big bucket of facts that they can draw from. They know how to put that together logically. They understand how to avoid all the fallacies. They understand how to question the assumptions about their uh, connections, their logical connections that they make, and then they can actually communicate that to other people and be, be persuasive as, uh, as, as uh, leaders, certainly, but also just as uh, as good church members as good citizens as good employees as good bosses whatever it is out there they they uh, they may may bring and we wouldn't be upset if we had a future graduate be a good president and a good senator and a good mm-hmm. governor and some of these other things we need absolutely you know i i looked up some homeschooling statistics uh again more catching up on my part and it talks about, uh, in these statistics, and this is a great article because it has so many different categories, but it says the average score, academic score for a homeschooler ranges between 85 to 87 percent, while public schoolers score around 50 percent. And then it also talks about the numbers. By February 2020, around 9 million U.S. students had been homeschooled at least once. But then it says the COVID-19 pandemic led to the homeschooling of more than three. 100 million students, and many parents were forced to take education into their own hands. What do you think about these numbers, and do you think this is going to just uh, continue to grow and grow? You know, I think it is. As more and more people recognize that public education has gone bankrupt because it's so ideologically driven mm-hmm. rather than, uh, than than teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic as it used to be, mm-hmm. and, and uh, they realize that this ideology is not something that they accept for their own family and for their own uh, set of beliefs that they're going to recognize that there are options today. There are options that don't cost them anything today. There, uh, uh, other than uh, 
their 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 time and effort, which I I hope that uh, these parents are wanting to give for their children's future as well. Uh, but also, just the the facts speak for, speak for themselves about how much better these students do in their in their grades, in their thinking ability, their cognitive abilities, their reading abilities, their logic abilities. They just far surpass. And the I get calls all the time about the John Nelson Darby Academy. One of the questions they ask is, "Are you accredited?" And my my answer is honestly, no, and you don't want us to be. <laughs> Let me explain why. The accreditation process involves buying into these uh, secular philosophies that you don't want in your mm-hmm. education. And mm-hmm. furthermore, the colleges and universities out there have recognized that non-accredited homeschool education is sending them better qualified students, students who can actually write and they can read and they can do math. And these are the students the colleges want anyway. And so they're not they're not concerned that uh, the child's high school is uh, is non-accredited. They're concerned with whether or not the child can uh, can can display the proficiencies needed for entrance into that school. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- there's there's such better options out there now. I know it used to be probably Mary even when you were uh, homeschooling your daughter, it uh, you, you you had to kind of really struggle and stretch to put things together, mm-hmm. and it uh, was a lot of time for the parent and a lot of work for the parent oh, yeah. to get the curriculum and to do the grading and all the things that uh, were necessary. But now there are so many more resources. And it used to be, even as I was raising my children, that you could look at your local public school and say, well, you know, you know, 50% of the teachers go go to our, our local church right here. And uh, it's a good Christian environment. And they, they have morals in the school. And all of that was probably true. But today, the curriculum itself and the agenda itself has so taken over that really even good teachers in the classroom will have basically an impossible job of of developing good, healthy citizens over time. Okay, you're hearing Stand for the Truth. Our guest is uh, Pastor Randy White, and we're talking about homeschooling. Uh, I wanted to bring in uh, my wife. Katie Q. Connell, uh, because you mentioned they're calling and asking, is it accredited? No, and here's why. And uh, maybe COVID has opened up some possibilities, but there's still parents out there that can't seem to figure out how they can make it work. Katie Q.? Well, and, and that was, when we're talking about homeschooling, we are so blessed because there's so many different options. And, and Mary and I, as we were driving in, we were talking about this quick decline in what we are seeing in schools right now. So it's so much different from just even five years ago. Um, but what's really, really neat is how far we were talking about all of these new things that we have right now. So how can I, as a mom, work a full-time job and yet still be able to homeschool? And it's because of a program like Pastor Randy White, like what you have that enables me um, it, it's really neat. It's a blessing. And we're going to speak a little more into how you can be a full-time stay-at-home mom and homeschool, how you can work part-time and homeschool, and how you can even, like I just said, be a full-time worker and still be able to homeschool. I, I, our program really is designed. If, if, if a child has 
supervision. I think every child needs some supervision, but that supervision can be a corner in the office. It can be a, a, a broom closet, you know, someplace where the child is on premises with the adults. It really can work well. And many workplaces, especially in small businesses, are very open to uh, your your children coming to work with you and uh, sitting, you know, here, here's, a, here's a room for them, here's a place for them, because they know that's a huge benefit to employee retention. So if you've, even people out there have got a full-time uh, work environment it's if it's a safe environment for children to be in and of course you want to to uh, to to uh, take into account what other employees are they going to be around what uh, what kind of language is used in the workplace uh, what kind of uh, quiet can the child get in the workplace but there are many places that you know there's a spare office over there and you could uh, say to the to the employee hey is there a possibility that my child can come to work with me and stay in that room and do their do their schoolwork and many uh, employers would be uh, well, honestly, they'd be foolish not to take you up on it because they've got the space, the Internet's there, and uh, and it can be done. And they just need a little oversight. Uh, so that can be done either with a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad or work-at-home dad, uh, work-at-home mom, or even someone who takes their child to the workplace. Yes, absolutely. When I was homeschooling, a lot of the questions were, well, of course, about socialization. And a lot of parents would say, well, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. And I say, well, you learn along with the child. I mean, if, if you have a specific curriculum that you're using and it's just you, you can learn along with the child. I mean, certainly. And, and so we, because we wanted to do it so badly, we were willing to just trust the Lord to make that work. And one of the other statistics in this article is 98% of homeschooled students participate in an average of five extracurriculars a week, and they're more likely to participate in extracurriculars than their peers who are in traditional schools. I mean, uh, I know there's band, my grandson is in band and choir and all these things that, that my daughter didn't have, but what do you think about the extracurriculars and the socialization thing? I mean, just just clear that up for all of us. Yeah, well, first of all, you want a child to grow up to be able to socialize with adults. And yeah. whether they can socialize with fourth graders or not is uh, <laughs> is uh, almost irrelevant. Amen. Uh, and you get a child and put them, for example, in an adult environment, even, even around the office, whatever it may be, those children really learn to communicate better with adults, to interact better with adults, to to uh, read between the lines with adults, know uh, what sarcasm is and other things that uh, that uh, sometimes children aren't even uh, at the cognitive ability to be able to use yet. And so they grow up. By the time I can I can see it when uh, we, we live in a tourist community, so we get lots mm-hmm. of people into our church that come from other places. And really within 30 seconds, I can tell you whether these children are homeschooled or, or they're public schooled mm-hmm. because a homeschooler knows how to look me in the eye and talk to a strange adult and shake my hand and interact on an adult level. And that's a a huge thing for success. You talk about their first job interview or their college interview, uh, whatever it may be, or their their uh, their 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 work in the church, or you know, mm-hmm. ten thousand things that they could do. To be able to carry that out is just amazing. Plus, again, as you mentioned, there are so many more opportunities uh, socially for children to be with other children. In most cities, this would be uh, obviously a little different in very small towns, but in most cities, 
There's uh, homeschooling groups, homeschooling sports days, homeschooling uh, uh, arts and crafts and sciences and, and PEs, and you know, on on and on you go with the opportunities that are available there. And even in smaller communities, they've got a youth and family center or something that uh, is there that children can easily interact. And in their local churches, they interact. There's plenty of opportunities for this to take place. And you know, if you think about this, go back. Uh, uh, let, let's 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 jump back hundred. 150 years uh, back to the farm where uh, a child had three or four or five, you know, maybe eight years of education, and they really spent the time at the home around the farm. And we never worried about great grandpa, whether or not he was going to have good social interaction or not. You, you learn that from being around your family, around adults. This is just something that takes place. Again, with with if a child can learn some history and science, he feels confident or she feels confident to go out and have a conversation with anyone about anything. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're given this, again, this bucket of knowledge, as I talked about earlier, and the ability to turn that into a good conversation that they, it, it, I think they do better in social activities. Mm-hmm. All right. Our guest today on Center for the Truth is Pastor Randy White, and we're talking about classic education, homeschooling, uh, John Nelson, Darby Academy. Gonna uh, One of the things I wanted to talk about is, because you're coming from a classical education perspective, there's differences in the public education system and the classical approach, but I wanted uh, one of your students, Patrick Ray, to come up to the microphone. And when we first started talking about this as a family years ago, it was one of these things where it's oh, the parents have to be the parents, but the child has to be a part of the decision as well. And with Patrick, it uh, he was all excited about it. And so, uh, Patrick, you wanted to talk about some of the things that you wanted to get away from in the public education system. So we want our listeners to hear this from a former public education student. Well, uh, first of all, the teachers were a huge uh Part of that excitement is it didn't. They were they were there to do their job, and it, they weren't there to help you personally. And there was a lot of because uh, like they had they have their format and they have to go by that and they have to stick to that. So I'd be doing whatever the work, and I could get ahead and choose whatever. And I've had teachers come and rip pages out of my book and give me a completely new one, make me restart or whatever because I didn't do. Exactly as a format, and you know, I still got the answer right, but I didn't do it. I didn't get the answer the way they wanted me to. So I mean, I was failing classes and stuff, but I was getting, I was getting answers right. I just wasn't doing it their way, and that's the complete opposite. I will say, and John Nelson, and I was uh, blown away by that. Is <laughs> I, I, granted, I may push that gray sometimes, but the teachers are some of the nicest people I've ever met, and they are just an email away at all times, and they are definitely there to help me. Talk about the darkness that you were dealing with. As a yeah. fifth, was it fifth grade or sixth grade? Sixth grade was all my right. last year, but there, there, was some, <laughs> there was some bad things going on there in those, those students, and it, it hurt being uh, raised in a Christian family and knowing the difference between right or wrong and seeing these things and... Of course, it was always the quote-unquote popular kids that this would be happening to, so if you speak out against that, you'd be pushed away from that. And that didn't always bother me, but that social hierarchy, if you will, and that battle in the top, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, the uh, 
the things of this age and this generation, and I still have friends in public school, and it's gotten much worse. I mean, we were in sixth grade when I was seeing this happen. I mean, I can't imagine what's going on right now in high school and some of the things that uh, some of my good friends who are also lights in that public school era that are raised similar to me, and they're just telling me about these things. And, it, I mean, it's, yeah, there's, it's, there's a lot of bad things going on with students and teachers and pretty much everything in the background in public schools. Has uh, the homeschooling helped you in your walk with Christ? You're 15 years old now. How's it helped you with your walk in Christ? Well, it's helped me a lot because I haven't uh, had to hold it. I haven't had to hold it in. I've been able to, and I haven't been so surrounded in darkness. I've been able to, because there's even a Bible class in John Nelson Darby Academy that has helped me learn more and not only become more knowledgeable by it, but in the Bible, but also transformed by that information too. And you can also use that out in the evangelism field because now you now more have better understanding rather than the things you're talking about. What do you think about that, Pastor Randy White? You know, first of all, let me say that you all can tell this is a 15-year-old speaking articulately about uh, really major issues in life and understanding social dynamics and the the the, uh, the the pressure of socialization that happens in the group setting of public schools. And we don't have to give this young man a test on math and grammar to see if he is equipped to go to college or career or whatever uh, plans that uh, he may have this is we can already tell just from a few minutes of listening to him to say he's well-rounded he is uh, he, he's he's getting he's learning the things he needs to learn in order to be successful in life in whatever career field he decides to go into and so Patrick uh, thank you God bless you for mm-hmm. being such a perfect example of what happens when you put a kid in uh, in an online education program in the sixth or seventh grade, and they go through it a few years, I think you you make uh, healthy, godly young men, which is what we want in our society. Well, thank you, thank you for your all your grace and all the teachers up there at John Nelson Darby. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, our our teachers really do love working with their students. It's a it, it does become a personal relationship uh, that. They know exactly where the student is, what they're struggling with. And we're actually changing some things in this uh, next coming year in the curriculum to be able to really tailor that curriculum for each student because there there are uh, students that you know we can we can tell they've got this material let's dig let, let's send them further let's get them into something else and there's other students that we say okay they need they need, we need to go back a little bit we need to shore up some some basic facts and work on that and so the ability to be able to tailor that uh on each student and our our teachers don't have 35 students in in a single class to try to uh deal with and uh, work through we work on a very small level uh, so that uh, they have this kind of close interaction and can take uh, care of it and you know as uh, patrick said uh, uh, an email or a chat away we have a helpline that they can uh, call and and uh, we try to make it where the answer is going to come as quickly as possible but sometimes you know it may be an hour or two before a response comes through uh, but uh, we, we do everything we can to keep the student from getting stuck right there <laughs> thank you patrick what a what a great and hopeful testimony for our young people Amen. yeah um randy a lot of parents might say um, 
you know, I, I send my child to school to be a light, to be salt, uh, to be a witness. Um, is that biblical? I know the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, to me, that is just as good a reason as any to not let your children mingle with the, some of the filth, actual filth that's in the public school system. But what about being a light? Is that biblical for a youngster to have that kind of thing on them to be a light? To their peers? You know, I, I think it is far more pressure than we want to put on our children because we don't realize even, you know, I graduated from high school in 1983 and uh, through the 70s and 80s with all the, uh, the, 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 the social change even that was taking place then, nonetheless, there was still a basic set of biblical, moral, Judeo-Christian Western civilization values that that I faced in school and most of my peers faced in school, and to carry out uh, that that biblical Christian or Western civilization worldview was in the norm. It's not. It's not today. Unfortunately, there is uh, the the forces of evil and wickedness out there are so much stronger than they were. And so really, you're not sending your child in to be a a witness in a Judeo-Christian environment anyway. You're sending your Mm -hmm. child into a gay bar. To, uh, to 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 see what's going on there uh, and uh, attempt to be a witness. Nobody would do that to their third grader. And, uh, and we've had other uh, guests talking about the public education system because we do have to address that. We're talking with uh, Pastor Randy White, uh, John Nelson Darby Academy, and uh, author and pastor out of New Mexico here on Stand Up at the Truth here. we got another uh, five minutes before we have to take our break. But uh, we've had other guests actually say, why would we send our child into a battle, into a war zone? And can we remember that? It, uh, what, what is our battle against? It's not right, against yeah. the public education system. What is our battle against? And, who, and, and what, what do we wrestle with? And uh, I tried to do a good job with a quote-unquote, air quotes, apologetics with my little boy, Jay Warner Wallace books and stuff, and let's talk. What did you learn today? When he's in public school, what did you hear today? And there was actually one time I went, okay, now I have to intercede. We're going to go talk with the parents because he was getting all these wrong answers on the age of the earth. And I went, we got to fix some things here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then when we went to an open house, we went, it's time to get out. But again, Randy, um, um, I, this is a long question, but um, I to me – is as Mary said, biblical. Let's just let's be biblical about this. Let's keep the opinions out of it. Is the Bible? What is the Bible telling us to do as parents? Yeah, and, and really, there is nothing in the Bible that instructs parents to send their children out to be missionaries in the world. Mm-hmm. We want to equip our children to be able to address the philosophical issues of the world. But you know, if if anything, I think you get more of the the parental role and the dad's role, especially as the protector of the child, bringing in the child. You see the 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 family responsibility of educating the child, and this this idea of sending children for a, a good majority of their waking hours out to a governmental agency to train their children is is just foreign to scriptures. Scripture is family-based. I think we ought to look at that and say, okay, if I'm going to raise my children biblically, who, who's, 
who's go, who are they going to spend time with? <laughs> They're going to dad, dad's going to be the apprentice, and mom's going to be the apprentice, uh, and the teacher and the guide, and uh, carry these things out rather than sending them out again. I think it's just, it would just be foreign to anything in the days of Jesus mm-hmm. to even have a situation in which children are sent out to someone other than maybe grandma. You know, it's, it's going to be it's it's totally going to be a family kind of situation and. You know, if a child were out there in that in in biblical days, they would have been right there with mom and dad at their side, uh, and really observing how mom and dad are a witness and a light unto the world. Mm-hmm. And I think so much better to train the child in the way he should go, and result is right. not depart from it. And and that's the parent's responsibility is to do that training and not send that off to a a public government agency. Right, and then be ready. If you do, you have to be ready to deprogram them every single night. Is a parent committed to that? And you will never know exactly what they heard all day long. I mean, it's you really are giving your child up uh, sacrificially, and I don't mean that in a good way, to the government school because now you have lost them. I firmly believe that. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think so, too. And there's just uh, so many examples of that happening, you know, that... uh, I I think the gifts that God has given to us and our children is far too important to uh, to to uh, contract that out to someone and not worry about it ourselves. We've got parents have to take and really should have all along, but have to take a hands-on approach to knowing what their children are learning and that they're progressing as they uh, as they need to be. And again, I think that. There are very, very few, if any, families in America today that don't have the option, a a, a different option besides public school. Uh, We're visiting with Pastor Randy White on Santa for the Truth. We'll take a couple minutes break and come back. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Mary Danielson and Crash Connell in on Stand For The Truth. Our guest on the phone in New Mexico, Pastor Randy White. Is there any more things you want to cover before we switch gears, Mary? On I don't homeschool? think so. I thought that was a very uh, fruitful and beneficial discussion on the merits of homeschool versus public school. And how do uh, parents get in touch with John Nelson Darby Academy, Pastor? Yeah, our website is JN Darby Academy, J-N-D-A-R-B-Y Academy dot O-R-G. And let me say that uh, for... Uh, for third through fifth graders, we've got a new program this year that, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry to, uh, tell this to Patrick's dad here because he's not third through fifth graders, <laughs> but it's absolutely free, free classical online education. We take donations, but, uh, uh, no tuition. There's, there's a, there is a hundred dollar matriculation fee that's one time in their, in their, in their career. They don't have to do it every year. Uh, and it's really, I think, just going to be a fantastic opportunity for students to learn, kind of using a Socratic method of uh, let's, let's, let's talk through this and learn the, uh, learn the material. Well, I can tell you, I believe that Patrick probably knows more about the Old Testament than I do because of the, uh, uh, the education that you guys give them on there. And that's what I was always just impressed with. You, all your team out there is doing a great job. Out there. Thank so, you. all right. Now, you got a fan in the room here. Mary Danielson <laughs> is a bookworm, 
and she's just eating up your latest book. Yes, so, yes. Uh, this, is, this is why I have a Kindle. Um, Randy, your book, How Evangelicalism is Confused, Manipulative, and Downright Dangerous. Okay, you have me at that. And um, wh- when did that come out, and what caused you to want to write something like that? I love that you're a straight shooter, so tell us about um, this shot across the bow. Yeah, let's see. That book is uh, about a year and a half old, I okay. believe. And I began to notice just listening, especially even to my pastoral colleagues, fellow friends in the in the ministry, and and seeing what was coming out of seminaries and Bible colleges, and uh, seeing the what is being produced by what I call the evangelical industrial complex uh, to. <laughs> borrow from Eisenhower's term on the military just a little bit, but uh, this machine of evangelicalism out there has really kind of lost its way so that being evangelical has really no meaning to it. What is an Mm -hmm. evangelical? We joke sometimes it's an evangelical uh, focus (laughs) on the jelly because, you know, trying to pin that definition down. And so in the book, I talk about the uh, the problems with worship, the problems even with understanding what the gospel is, and you know the very basics, and and not knowing how to use scripture, and that leads to so much manipulation in scripture, in in really guilting people into almost a law based life on on how to bring merit to God, uh, some things that are completely against this uh, uh, wonderful age of grace in which we live that uh, God has uh, offered uh, to us, uh, you know, by grace through faith, not of yourselves, lest any should boast, uh, man, woman, boy, or girl, here's a, a free gospel that is given to them and an opportunity to live a life being complete in Christ. So misunderstood and so, I would say, not understood today that I just uh, sat down. Actually, in about a two-week period, I just I set some time aside and said, all of this is boiling over in me. I'm going to write it down. And so that's where evangelical mm-hmm. garbage came from. And it is, uh, uh, even from the title, somewhat of a blunt book. I, I, mm-hmm. I think I wrote in the epilogue, and I probably should have put uh, this in the uh, prologue, that uh, if anybody agrees with everything in that book, I would be utterly amazed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not one you have to agree with every page, every line, but I hope it uh, uh, has been used and will be used to to help people say, hey, you know, there there really are some problems just like in the education system. Now there are problems in in evangelicalism, which is just kind of popular Christianity. Okay, because I didn't even know what that was. I've never called myself one. People say, are you an evangelical? I'm, I'm just a Christian. I'm a Christian. You know, I'm, I didn't know what it meant either. I really don't know. It is it is very, very vague. Um, and then there's the thing called evangelical leaders. And I don't you know what that is either because there's pastor teachers, there's spiritual gifts. I've never seen that one in the Bible. Well, and you hear about the uh, political candidates trying to reach the evangelicals. I'm going, who is that? Yeah. I don't, I don't understand right. that at all. And the other thing that you talk about that is so fascinating, um, evangelical is ecumenism. Can you yeah. explain that? Because I don't think people are necessarily make that jump when they think about evangelicalism. It is ecumenism. But your argument for that is, is really, really well thought out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, thank you. I can. You know, in, in, in so much of 
just the let, let's say the average church on the street there are there certainly are exceptions there are there are places where you can go and get verse by verse in context bible teaching and let me let me associate that a little bit with what we were talking about classical education i think that if you've got a church that is steadily giving you facts so that uh, from the pulpit or from the bible studies that are that are held and conducted by that church if you are walking away with a better understanding of king jeroboam out of first kings mm-hmm. then this is probably a good church it's 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 giving you bible knowledge because i i think that whether we're talking about grammar and history and science and math or we're talking about things of the of the lord and things of the spirit if you've got a a, a knowledge base to work from, then us, especially with the Holy Spirit being complete in Christ, we can make logical deductions that are going to say, okay, now, what do I do about this job offer? What do I do about this relationship problem? What do I do about, uh, you know, this financial issue? What do I do about this relationship issue in my at, at, at my workplace? And, and yet the churches that are focusing on the 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 practical level they're just having to give oprah kind of sermons uh, <laughs> showing my age a little bit there but uh, mm-hmm. to give give oprah kind of sermons of uh you know how to how to get along with people in the workplace i don't want to uh, i don't want to do that and i i think what people ought to look for is a church that's providing some some solid biblical meat but that did not answer your question about a community <laughs> ecumenism the the bringing everything together you know we talk about the one world religion sometime but the the one world religion really is a melting pot of all religions coming together and there's so much within evangelicalism that says we don't want to have any any identity we don't want to have any any strong boundaries you, you so many places mm-hmm. today you can't you can't tell it's a church by the sign. You can't tell it's a church by the building. There's nothing distinguishing. You know, it's a, it's called, you know, journey or something, just right. a word that, right. that could be anything. You know, is this a tour company? I'm not sure. Uh, what What's up with that? And, and the loss of the distinguishing characteristics of even, say, between a Baptist church and a Presbyterian church and a Methodist church and a uh, Calvary Chapel, and, you know, you can go on in all the different directions. Those are things that used to have a distinguishing identity, and I think pastors ought to say, I don't want my church to be like every other church. we're, We're different theologically, and we want to highlight those differences and promote those differences and teach those differences and, and debate those differences. And that is just completely opposite of the uh, ecumenical mindset, which is the evangelical mindset. Uh, the, we're talking with Pastor Randy White, Set Up for the Truth. I'm Crash Mary Danielson, and the uh, discussion, Evangelical Garbage, the book, How Evangelicalism is Confused, Manipulative, and Downright Dangerous, uh, have you, has anybody, anybody said to you, Pastor Randy White, why are you being so divisive? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, very much so, because uh, evangelicalism, and especially, if I can call it this way, the machine, the evangelical machine out there, 
they 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 want to keep this thing rolling. Mm-hmm. And if you get out there and say, let's separate things out, let's have our own uh, identity. That that means, for example, uh, you know, in I for years I was a denominational pastor, and being a denominational pastor, I kind of taught the bon- denominational brochure. Well, that made money for the denomination. I I bought their literature, I bought into their programs, I did. Uh, went to their meetings. I did all the things that I was supposed to do as in the denomination. And when I began to pull out of that, all of a sudden, you know, I, the, I'm the, he must be a heretic. What's up with this? He's not buying our literature. Is and and yet, what I was doing is empowering Sunday school teachers in our case, Bible study leaders, to get into the Word of God and study the Word of God themselves and teach the Word of God, understanding that I think they are equipped to do it without me giving this drivel of uh, quarterly Bible study for them to study that uh, came from some faraway place. And so, you know, the machine doesn't like this. That mm-hmm. they, they, they need it to keep on going for their own existence. Yeah, and you talk about the machine relative to the National Day of Prayer. Tell us a little bit about that, because when it started, it was more or less, let's just pray within our churches, you know, pray. If you have a prayer meeting, pray for the country and all that. What did that become? Because my understanding is the NAR has pretty much taken over the National Day of Prayer. So tell us about the money involved in, in the evolution of the National Day of Prayer as a prime example of this machine. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it's maybe the prime example. National Day of Prayer organization has become a multi-million dollar organization. Uh, now, you know, they sell posters, they sell uh, uh, all sorts of uh, paraphernalia on the National Day of Prayer. And then National Day of Prayer gatherings are every kind of if I can put it this way, every kind of evangelical garbage you can think of uh, it, that is all coming together. And I, I discovered even 10, 12 years ago when I quit doing National Day of Prayer stuff uh, on an official basis, what I discovered is, you know, I, I send my people to those things on the first Thursday of May. And then, you know, that next Sunday, I have to un untrain them <laughs> you know i have to i have to debrief them i have to say now i know this was said and i know that scripture was used but the, you you know this is not right and i finally decided you know look at look at the history of the national day of prayer it goes back into the 1950s and more officially into the mm. 1980s but uh it was just hey we want americans on the first thursday of may to pray for their country there is not a need for a single dime to be spent on that mm-hmm. honestly to to encourage people to pray on the first Thursday of the year for their nation is a good thing. It's a noble thing uh, to have a day of remembrance for that. And yet it has become this money-making machine and this ecumenical machine trying to get all churches together at the same place. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, I say, forget it. Encourage your people to pray for the country this Thursday, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes time for the National Day of Prayer. And they will do it. Pe- people can pray on their own. They're equipped to pray. They don't need all the preachers in town to get together and a few uh, uh, a few uh, Native American witch doctors to join them. And, and are they else are they going with like a universalism type thing? Or if two or more are gathered my name and they think the 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 power of prayer is going to be in numbers, I mean, yeah, well, I, uh, I, I don't know where it went wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and what I see mostly is. New Apostolic Reformation has taken over sure. so many of these things, and it becomes uh, very strong in the name it and claim it uh, kind of uh, 
uh, brand of theology that's out there. And I, I don't think that's healthy for the people in my church. Uh, it's confusing for the people in my church. And so I say, skip the confusion. I want them to pray. If, <laughs> if we decided uh, on a particular year to have a prayer meeting on the National Day of Prayer, then, you know, Thursday at 7 o'clock, show up in, in our auditorium and we'll pray. Okay, I need you, Pastor, to break it down. Would you please explain the twisted scripture, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. Can you can you clear that up? That's not a scripture for the National Day of Prayer. <laughs> yeah, you know, and this, this, these these things get used all the time, and that that is a form of name it and claim it uh, uh, because that scripture has a context and it's related to the nation of Israel. Thank you. (laughs) If we understand those contexts, then we can say, okay, is, are there any principles here that are true for the United States that we could pick up on? Is there, is there anything that teaches this on an international basis? For example, is there anything that teaches this is a principle for all people of all time? Let's look for that before we apply that. And uh, I think that we, we, you know, certainly we would want Americans to join together and call upon the name of the Lord and seek the Lord's face and turn from their wicked ways. There's plenty of that to to do, but we can do that without uh, manipulating a scripture to fit the United States in 2023. Well, thank you so much. Isn't that, I just had a, everybody uses that, and I'm going, you're not even reading that in yeah. context. Yeah, the Babylon exile and so many things and... Like the, yeah. can you Israel. you got to do better than that? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you know I am uh, one of the things uh, I have become is persnickety in pronouns. That's usually the way I put it. But I'm persnickety in pronouns, and there is a you know if my people humble themselves, okay, who who who's my people? My people who are right. themselves. Who? What are we talking? Well, there's a there's a context. And there's also if with this. <laughs> Not when, yes. but you know. So okay. Sorry, Randy, I triggered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we both did. I think here, uh, Randy. I want to talk about pragmatism in the evangelical church because I think that was this is a spirit killer, um, like purpose driven instead of spirit led. And I think the pragmatism lies here in, of course, the seeker movement. Nickels and noses. Uh, how many people can we get in? We don't care if they're saved or not. But the thing about purpose driven, you know, in hindsight, and I've been thinking about this since, oh, the nineties, I guess. Um, when you uh, when a pastor is saying to their congregation, we need to go through the 40 days of purpose. We need to basically elevate Rick Warren within our church and actually hijack the pastor's vision, for lack of a better word, for his own fellowship. I just think that that was one of the worst things that could ever happen to evangelicalism and made it uh, a garbage disposal, as you kind of say. What is your thought on that whole purpose-driven thing? And and did it do the most damage, uh, I think, in modern times? It did, and it really has has basically killed the local church. That uh, the, the 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 local church all across America is on life support, <laughs> and I think it's because they bought into this purpose driven movement. And 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 what happened in that is then they they honestly just quit doing Bible studies, and they did forty days of purpose, and they did these book studies, mm-hmm. and every women's Bible study and every men's Bible study became by this book by this famous author, and we're going to read what he. Has had to say or she had to say and we're going to uh, have a discussion group that's not a bible study and so we've ended up 15 20 30 years later 
with people who are biblically illiterate, uh, e- even though perhaps they could tell you the principles of the 40 days of uh, purpose or, uh, you know, the purpose-driven life, which are uh, honestly uh, just uh, Carl Jung psychology uh, type thing, which is, mm-hmm. which is uh, godless in its core anyway. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you, you know if if we wanted uh, the people in our church to study Young and Maslow, then we could have we the pastor could have studied Young and Maslow and taught services on it. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but what we need in the church is a pastor who's going to pastor the people and preach, uh, you know, preach and teach from the Word of God. And this so uh, changed what a pastor does that today nobody's going into the pastorate. Because honestly, you can go by the book. You don't. You don't. You don't need the pastor. And so there's a huge looming crisis of no pastors out there because we change the local church in its entirety, and that has really ruined the churches. And I think we're only at the beginning of the iceberg of the utter devastation that the church growth movement really, uh, but the church growth movement then was characterized by Willow Creek and Saddleback uh, and these movements that they started. And we're just at the beginning of the iceberg of what's going to to uh, crumble. And we may end up with uh, half of the number of churches we have today. And that uh, uh, that will not be a good thing, even though the church growth movement says, you know, many of these churches need to close. And it's because, you know, they need to close and come to our, our big uh, cool church down here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that might be a travel agency. Wow. And then we have the wheat and tares, too. So that's an interesting thing for me to, to know that God is allowing uh, a, a visible church and a true church, which is small and narrow is the way and few there be that find, but we have both, and, and it's difficult for us at this point. Um, it, the book is so valuable because of that. Um, it helps us differentiate, I guess, between the wheat and the tares and um, the true church, which, I, again, we will never know exactly who is who until the Lord comes and gets us. But um, anyway, I, I also wanted to ask you something about, and here's here's a, a another shot across the bow, music in the church, and you call it the tail that wags the dog. Why would you? Why do you call worship music so-called? Today, the tail that wags the dog. Because the worship music has become a big production and a big show mm-hmm. that has to wow the crowd every week. And and we cannot just blame the pastors and worship leaders, though they hold a lot of the blame, but a lot of the people in the pew have come to expect this as well. I want, you know, the I, I begin to hear... Oh, probably twenty, twenty-five years ago, about the A-list singers. Uh, what do you mean the A-list singers? It used to be that an eight-year-old could get up and sing "Jesus Loves Me, This I Know," or, or uh, you know, "What a Friend I Have in Jesus." And, Amazing Grace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing Grace, and could 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 uh, be a blessing to that child to that family now it's this color coordinated you know lights down to 14 percent and 82 uh, percent blue fog and, machine and, uh, fog machines and yeah. it's it's this show that goes on and honestly i i think people are waking up to the fact that it's this empty show it used to be that there even in a small church there was a choir of eight or ten or fifteen or twenty people that were giving their their time and standing up there singing every Sunday. Now there's six or eight paid professionals who worked at the bar the night before and now they're up there uh singing 
songs that nobody is catching into, nobody is singing along with them. They're all just standing there swaying because this is what you're supposed to do. And and there's no meat to it at all. It I I think worship in many of these churches is just and, and by worship I mean the music section of it is is just bankrupt. I mm. I and you know, I hear from so many people who are in churches like this who say we just come late you know we, we, we know we know when the preaching is going to start we come in then and uh, the the songs that are sung have that they are they are musically inept uh, music has has devolved in society from the the Beethovens and the Mendelssohns and uh, this uh, gr- these great works of art of music which came into many of our hymns as well and the theology of those hymns, and it has devolved into some sort of uh, folk tune of uh, four or five notes uh, with without any harmony. And we don't have anyone who can play the piano anymore. We don't have anyone who can who can sing anymore, who can uh, make melody anymore, who can do harmony anymore. I think we've harmed society in a, in not just uh, not just the church, but we've harmed society. We got about three minutes left to, to, for this podcast. Our guest is Pastor Randy White, and we've been talking about classic education. If you just joined, uh, you can uh, catch up on the podcast when we post it online at standupforthetruth.com. And the one other thing I think we should mention, so many people, young Christians and uh, mature Christians, are getting their theology from these bad worship songs. They're getting their theology from it, Mm -hmm. and they're saying it over and over again. And they think yeah, that's... and this is what music does. Uh, and you know, if you if you the 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 few popular worship choruses out there that are singable, <laughs> they get caught in here. But the problem is, musicians are writing these today rather than theologians. And it used to be the other way around. A theologian would write a a, a poem because he knew English well and he knew theology well, or she, as Fanny Crosby, uh, put these things together and. Someone later would come and put that to music, and music was secondary. Now it's the other, you know, they write a tune, and then they put some words to it, and it's just this mishmash of <laughs> anything that sounds kind of um, loving and yeah. and uh, has the word Jesus in it. Let's yeah. let's put it in there. Well, and the Bible has a hymnal in it. It's called the Psalms. Amen. There you go. And when people put music to a psalm, and it is so edifying, because you're, now you've memorized Scripture, and it has notes to it. And God gave us that mental capacity to remember songs. We remember a zillion lousy songs. But that one song, and remember, remember choir lofts? What was a choir loft? It was behind the people. They didn't even know who you were up there singing. So let's bring back the humble choir loft. That's what I say. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, th- I think there's such a need today for churches to to prepare real musicians, church musicians, uh, and and uh, musicians and uh, and preachers for the next generation. Mm-hmm. It's it's needed. Uh, every church is going to have a huge lack in this, and that's why almost virtually every church today that has any kind of music program has paid musicians because the church has not trained up a, uh, anyone with these kind of skills. Mm-hmm. Well, it appears that our guest today, Pastor Randy White, has a few opinions. <laughs> and we are grateful for you uh, coming on to the broadcast. we got about a minute left here. So, once again, how do we get in touch at John Nelson Darby Academy? What is the website again? The school website is JNDarby, 
jndarbyacademy.org, jndarbyacademy.org. That's John Nelson Darby, who is a great biblical scholar and linguist and uh, um, had had just an amazing grasp on science and history in the world, and so we used uh, his name to, um, to, to honor that kind of uh, Renaissance man in terms of uh, in terms of knowledge and skill. Which well, thanks, Randy. We got to wrap it up here. Go ahead, Mary. Take us yes, out. <laughs> thank you so much, Randy. I encourage people to read your book. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.